You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. More calls this evening to open up BC's auto insurance industry to competition. A new study finds we're once again paying far more than drivers in any other province. Richard Zussman compares the numbers and explains why private insurance may not be the solution. It's a list you don't want to top. Those in Canada that pay the most for car insurance. Once again, British Columbians pay more for auto insurance than anyone else in this country. On average, British Columbians pay $1,832 a year for car insurance. In Ontario, it's on average $300 cheaper, with Quebec having the cheapest car insurance at $717 a year. We need to start looking outside of ICBC for solutions here, looking at best practices from right across this country. Uh, and one of those is perhaps if we invited other auto insurers to compete with ICBC. ICBC quick to point out the study done by an organization that supports private insurance, adding that the company's monopoly has nothing to do with the high costs. We've got problems in BC and it all revolves around increased crashes and the resulting claims costs. And that is a problem that will continue to exist whether we have a private system or a public system. The province is in the midst of overhauling the current insurance system with no plans on privatizing. Attorney General David Eby unable to comment on camera today, sending a statement that reads in part, recent studies have shown that jurisdictions with private insurance are actually seeing some of the greatest recent increases in drivers' premiums. For example, Ontario drivers saw the average cost of their insurance rise almost 14%, while Alberta drivers are facing the steepest increase at over 16%. They tend to look at the most popular cars uh, to do their comparisons. And when they do it that way, not this method that the insurance bureau uses, uh, you get a somewhat different picture. The public insurer says so far 1,200 people have renewed early under the new system, kicking off on September 1st. ICBC says on average 55% of drivers, the so-called good ones, with both basic and optional insurance, will pay less for car insurance next year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A surprise commercial vehicle safety and enforcement blitz in Burnaby today came with some startling results. Officers pulling over vehicles at Gallardi Way and Highway 1. 47 commercial vehicles were inspected and 20 of them were identified as unsafe and removed from the road. The most serious one would be a, a dangerous goods that... Um had uh, five different um, violations under the dangerous goods regulations. Um, anything from not displaying placards to having the dangerous goods on the commercial vehicle insecure. So there's no means to prevent it from falling from the vehicle or potentially becoming compromised. And just a heads up, the inspections are not over yet. RCMP plan to carry out more over the next three to four days. Well, thankfully, no one was hurt, but a breakdown on the beast at Playland has rattled some nerves. The malfunction happened mid-ride, the sound of grinding metal terrifying those within earshot. Grace Key explains what officials believe happened and the concerns for safety. You can hear the metal grinding as frightened riders and onlookers below are in a panic, not knowing what's going on. 
we just started to hear this noise and I said to my sister, this isn't right, this is not normal. And then it kept happening and um, started to panic. And then I noticed sprinkles falling on me. And I look up and then I get them on my face and then I tasted it and smelled it and it was oil. It happened Monday afternoon on a popular Playland ride called The Beast. As it was coming to a gradual slowdown, Irene Morrison ran towards the exit to get her son and nephew. I just saw the girl in the booth and her face was sheer terror. My sister saw it too from where she was standing and that just made me more worried. And she was like, no, no, no. Like she just shouted at me, no, not to come near. Workers are assessing the ride, but it looks like a broken part may be to blame. Safety inspections are done every morning on the rides. Technical Safety BC and another third-party consultant also do annual inspections. The ride did exactly what it was designed to do, which is come to a slow, easy stop in the event of a, any sort of mechanical occurrence. Excessive corrosion was to blame after one person was killed at the Ohio State Fair two years ago. And though the rides look similar and have the same manufacturer, Playland says the age and assembly are very different. With the PE set to open this weekend, it's unclear when its more popular ride will be up and running. Whatever the length of time that is required to get the new part, get that part properly installed, and go through the safety um, testing and inspection process, that's what's going to be done. No one was injured in Monday's incident and Technical Safety BC will be conducting an investigation. Grace Key, Global News. Now to Squamish, where RCMP are reviewing video surveillance for clues into the suspected sabotage of the Sea to Sky gondola. Over the weekend, it's believed someone deliberately cut the gondola's cable. And while the general manager of the tourist attraction is still struggling for answers, Ted Chernecki explains how this incident is expected to change the industry. The Sea to Sky gondola ascent path is no longer a crime scene, but it's still cordoned off to keep hikers out of an area that's still potentially dangerous. We were also shown not the cut cable, but one identical to it to underline how this was not your typical act of vandalism. Well, I know the RCMP have really cast a very wide net. Every material piece of information we've ever had on any situation with any heat in it has already been turned over to the RCMP. They have collected a, a vast volume of details on us. The company says it has had no threats prior to Saturday's cable cutting, but the RCMP says it's looking at everything from a disgruntled employee to a random act of vandalism to something far more sophisticated where the operation is targeted for political reasons. Everything is on the table because this event is so rare and potentially a game changer. So it will change things. You know, we're in conversation with our industry partners about additional security measures and steps. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly an, an eye-opening moment in time. and, and and, and honestly, in this business, uh, while what we're trying to do is just create opportunities for people to have great experiences, really the job is around risk management. It's already a plan changer. Tourists continue to arrive here only to learn there will be no going up that gondola anytime soon. One of my friends has birthday and they organize a party for her and she wants to use the family, wants to use the gondola and because of the reason they vandalize, they need to change the plans. You know, he looked at his, his phone and said, well, I guess we're not doing the sea to sky gondola. And <laughs> I'm disappointed, but, uh, you know, and, and mildly horrified, but humans do a lot worse things. The company is now in the throes of ordering up to 20 replacement cabins to add to the 10 that escaped any damage. And a new full-length cable is being ordered as well. Ted Chernacki, Global News. 
A warning from police now about a bizarre and reoccurring discovery in a Delta park. Police say between July and August, they've been contacted four times about suspicious meat found in Watershed Park in North Delta. The meat, which has been described as seven to 10 pounds of large two to three inch chunks, was left in the same general area near the trail entrance by 63rd Avenue. The discovery very concerning for dog owners in the area. We have not had any instances where uh, dog owners have reported to us that their dogs have actually gotten into this or uh, that any dogs have been made sick. Uh, but because it has been now ongoing throughout the summer, uh, we are taking the precautionary step of sending these samples off for analysis. New criticism and concern tonight for Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum's proposed police transition plan. Councillor Brenda Locke highlighting McCallum's plan to cut the current RCMP's mental health and outreach team in half. Catherine Urquhart reports. Every day, Surrey Urban Mission helps hundreds of this city's needy, many of them with mental health issues. News that Surrey could soon have fewer resources for mental health, deeply concerning. Any plan going forward that would be cutting services to this fragile group this uh, w would, be, would be problematic. It's feared changes to policing in Surrey could negatively impact how the mentally ill are assisted on the front lines. Councillor Brenda Locke says the police transition report calls for the mental health team to be reduced from 21 officers to 11 a move that would impact CAR 67, the mobile crisis response unit that includes psychiatric nurses from Fraser Health. There will be CAR 67, but it will only be one car. Their hours will likely be cut because they won't have the capacity. This plan will set back policing in Surrey by 15 years. This is not healthy for our city. The mental health team has been assisting people since 2000. Fraser Health told Global News it values the partnership and has no plans to reduce or eliminate CAR 67, which attends about 100 calls every month. People that are already vulnerable will be more at risk than they were before. Is this going to make Surrey safer? It will not make Surrey safer. Surrey, is, Surrey citizens are in jeopardy at this point. It's a time to put more resources into, you know, proactive solutions and, and, and take some, some stress off the reactive end of this and actually see change, which would be wonderful. Mayor Doug McCallum's office said he was unavailable to comment, as was anyone else on his behalf. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now a key riding to watch in the up-and-coming federal election. Of course, it will be Vancouver-Granville. And tonight, the federal liberal candidate replacing Jody Wilson-Raybould as the party's nominee will be acclaimed. Keith Baldry joins us with more on what we know about entrepreneur Talib Nur-Muhammad and his chances against Jody Wilson-Raybould, who's now running as an independent. Keith. Yeah, he's certainly no stranger to politics. In fact, he ran for the Liberals in 2011 in the riding of North Vancouver, lost to the Conservative candidate there. Uh, he had announced he was going to take a run at the Vi Vision Vancouver mayoralty uh, position, but had to withdraw in the last election due to some uh, uh, heart problems. But he's back now at uh, Vancouver Granville, a riding that's going to get a lot of attention because of Jody Wilson-Raybould, who's achieved national stature with her very public break with the Tr Justin Trudeau government over the SNC-Lavalin affair. Now, Vancouver Granville, uh, riding 
exciting that's relatively new, created for the first time in 2015. Uh, take a look at the results from that time. You see that Wilson Rabel actually pulled off a pretty convincing victory. 44% was her total. The NDP and the Conservatives almost in a dead heat for second, but well back of her totals. And the Greens not a factor here as well. We caught up with both candidates today. Uh, he's explaining what he's bringing to the race. And Wilson Rabel says, yes, she's an independent, but she doesn't really think that's a big factor. My concern is to make sure that we are working hard for the constituents of Vancouver Granville and what I would tell folks is that it, what's really important is to ensure that the Liberal agenda, which is one that really aligns with the values of Canadians, of thinking about uh, quality of life, thinking about lifting millions of children out of poverty, thinking about issues related to housing, climate change, that's what we should be focused on. I never expected to be in the position that I'm in right now. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be an independent uh, member of Parliament. I don't really look at it as being an advantage or a disadvantage. It's just what it is. Not a bad way to look at it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Are you handicapping this one, Keith? What are the chances uh, that Wilson-Raybould maybe has winning as an independent? Well, normally I'd say independents don't have a chance, but I think this is a glaring possible exception to that political truism. Wilson-Raybould has a number of things going for her that other independents don't. First of all, she's got big name recognition, uh, and both in Vancouver and across the country, so she's received a lot of media attention. This riding will get a lot of media attention, more than other independent candidacies, I think. And keep in mind, you know, she got some pretty hefty vote totals last time. If this turns into a four-way race, a uh, winning candidate could come away with a victory with less than 30% of the vote. Jordy Wilson-Raybould could lose 9,000 votes from last time and still pull this off as a victory. So I think she's the one to beat here. Is it the person or the party? We'll find out, I guess, mm -hmm. in October. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. right now, though, for anyone waiting for an organ transplant, time is of the essence. It's why advocates say a mandatory six-month abstinence policy for people with alcohol use disorder is not only unfair, it's discriminatory. As Nadia Stewart reports, critics say the rules disproportionately affect Indigenous people. And one man is taking his fight to the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal. I'm dying. I'm dying. Up until just recently, David Dennis was holding out hope for a liver transplant, the second chance he's been praying for. He believed he was on the provincial waiting list. Turns out he wasn't. It's one thing to be told that you're going to pass away from this disease, but it's another thing, oh, by the way, you know, did you know that you're not, you're not even on the list? That disease is alcohol use disorder. According to BC Transplants Policy, recipients must be sober for at least six months in order to be eligible. But Dennis and the Union of BC Indian Chiefs have filed a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal, saying the policy discriminates against Indigenous people as they suffer higher rates of alcohol use disorder, stemming from historic and colonial racist policies. Aboriginal people, Indigenous people suffer higher levels of substance abuse. It's a fundamental issue with, uh, with First Nations people and I think that should be taken into consideration when they make those incredibly difficult decisions on, on the list. A similar policy in Ontario prompted a court challenge, which led to a review of the six-month abstinence requirement. We contacted BC Transplant for an interview, but they say no one was available to speak on camera. And you try to explain... You try to explain why Dad's being taken away. Dennis is hoping the health minister will listen, or at least help him answer his young daughter's questions. Say that 
you you figure out a way to tell a five and a half year old kid about what's going on and why. Nadia Stork, Global News. Now, just as we went to air, we received a response from BC Transplant. The organization says it's aware of this case and appreciates the distress that patients and their loved ones face when needing an organ transplant. They go on to say, while we do not publicly discuss the specific details of individual cases due to patient privacy, we will be reviewing this case together with the liver transplant team at Vancouver Coastal Health. Well, the federal government announced, uh, announced funding today for early learning and child care in Vancouver. Minister of Defence Harjit Sajjan says $470,000 will go to three local organizations to help explore creative child care solutions. One organization being funded will enhance musqueam content and indigenous ways in training childhood educators. Another will help train educators to deliver music education. And a third will look into the needs and challenges of encouraging outdoor play. Well, you may have heard of the BC Unclaimed Property Society, although not many have. It's a nonprofit group that tracks down the rightful owners of forgotten cash or unclaimed funds sitting in dormant accounts. And it's attracting the attention of fraudsters now. So we're going to bring in our consumer reporter, Andrew, to tell us more about how they're leveraging this organization mm. to get money from people. Fraudsters everywhere nowadays. Yeah. Thanks for that, Chris. There is currently more than $160 million in B.C. waiting to be claimed, and that's a magnet for scam artists. The B.C. Unclaimed Property Society says it's seen more fraudulent behavior online with fraudsters trying to steal people's personal information and money, claiming they represent the nonprofit society. What's worse, the scams are getting more sophisticated. Now, here are some things to watch out for. The BC Unclaimed Property Society wants people to know that it will never ask for money up front or charge money to search for forgotten funds. Also, be aware of anyone who contacts you with urgent emails stating, please contact us immediately about your account or immediate attention required. It's important to note there is no time limit to claim forgotten funds from the BC UPS. In fact, there are claims going back as far as the 1800s and beware of phishing scams. Fraudsters are known to copy letterhead from the BC Unclaimed Property Society, pretending to represent the organization. What we're seeing is more cyber crime. So that is where somebody will email random individuals. It's usually from some sort of email list that they obtain somewhere. And they'll do one of two things. They'll say, we work on behalf of the BC Unclaimed Property Society. They'll provide some sort of legitimate credentials and redirect this person to a website that looks an awful lot like the BC Unclaimed Property Society legitimate site. It's actually uh, a site set up to make it look like it's ours when it's really not. And then they'll try and follow up and either get the person to send them money or personal information. Also, the society doesn't use third parties and deals with claimants directly and will never ask for personal banking information before verifying a claim. For more information and to find out if you have unclaimed funds, just go to unclaimedpropertybc.com. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for the warning, Ann. The Eagle Bluff wildfire outside Oliver has settled down a lot. Thanks to the great work of firefighters, all evacuation alerts have been rescinded. It takes a great deal of planning to coordinate crews and supplies to feed and house everyone so they're ready for the fight. And Global's Shelby Tom has a first-hand look at what it takes to keep a fire camp running.
So this is a refrigeration unit. Chris Fraser uh, has an appetite to please fire. the hundreds of firefighters he feeds every day. This is all bread, right? The kitchen facilities on site of this provincial fire camp set up at the Oliver Municipal Airport. Breakfast prep is started at 9 p.m. Uh, just because we do need ample time for, you know, we're going through 10 cases of bacon a night. Uh, I believe it's five to six cartons of eggs. It's almost like a, a small town. From sleeping accommodations and eating areas to washrooms and office trailers, this is base camp for firefighters and support staff battling the Eagle Bluff wildfire. There really wasn't any hotel accommodations. Um, you know, they still want to basically have the town uh, to support tourism and that sort of thing. So rather than disrupting the town, um, we really needed to set up a fire camp. Staff overwhelmed by the community's response to their presence in this small town. If you're walking down the street, everyone's stopping to say thank you. They're waving at you. They're honking and they're showing all the love that they can. They've been dropping by with uh, with uh, donations from Timmy's and just, just really supportive. Lots of thank yous. I've never seen anything like it and I've been doing this for three years. As for the fire itself, it remains out of control, scorching 2,600 hectares of land, but it no longer poses an imminent threat to the communities below. We do anticipate in the next few days that we might see a bit of an increase in size just because the temperatures are heating up again. Uh, so that might increase the fire activity. While all evacuation alerts on the Eagle Bluff fire have been lifted, officials say we're not out of the woods just yet. Just keep in mind that this is still an active fire. Shelby Tom, Global News. All right, seems like summer has returned. Uh, temperatures heating up, and meteorologist Christy Gordon is outside taking it all in at the big tennis tournament, the Audlem Brown Van Open. Christy, nice night for it. Oh, it's a great night for it, Chris, that's for sure. And we're at the picturesque uh, Hollybird Country Club. And, you know, this tournament is the biggest uh, tournament in all of Western Canada with over 140 top-seeded players from all around the world. Vasek Pospisil as well as Eugenie Bouchard will be playing right here on this main court a little later tonight uh, and hopefully a couple of other times throughout the week depending on how they play tonight. Now, the tournament runs all the way throughout the week through to Sunday. It is sold out, but you can actually check out all of the action live online at vanopen.com. Now behind me here is the opening ceremonies and it's a pretty special one this year because the tournament is actually receiving an award, the ATP Challenger Tour Tournament of the Year. So the organizers here are incredible, incredibly excited and proud of course of that. Uh, so incredible tennis, award winning uh, tournament and breathtaking view which I will show you when I come back. Can't wait to see it, and I look forward to coming to watch some of the matches on Saturday. It'll be good. Thanks very much, Christy. He's not a cop. He's a human being. A deadly shootout along a busy highway in Riverside, California, where a man gunned down a highway patrol officer who pulled him over. The suspect drew a rifle and fired on the officer as he was filling out paperwork to impound the man's truck. The officer was able to call for help before he died. Two other officers were hurt in the exchange of fire. The suspect, who had a long criminal record, was eventually killed by police. Riot police stormed Hong Kong International Airport again today. Officers armed with batons and pepper spray scuffled with pro-democracy protesters who had forced the busy flight hub to shut down for the second consecutive day. And there are rumors it's going to be shut down 
again on Wednesday. The violence marking a new phase in the unrest that's been carrying on for weeks in the former British colony. Despite the threat of a crackdown from Beijing, the demonstrators are vowing to keep up the fight. Protesters were pushing for their demands, saying that they would not leave. In particular, they're looking for an independent inquiry into what they call police brutality. And then the mood did start to shift. There were protesters who caught who they believed were undercover Chinese police officers. They became quite violent over the course of a few hours. We are, I'm the doctor. Well, I'm helping you. And then there was the arrival of the police, signaled first by the flashing lights outside of the airport terminal. A lot of scuffles, extremely violent. But we have seen this deterioration not only over the past 48 hours, but over the past 10 weeks. All the time we've had China sitting by and people waiting to see what China's move would be, knowing Beijing would not let this situation here linger for much longer. Beijing is also trying to turn public opinion against the protesters. They say that they are going to stay here, that they will push through those demands, and that they will not rest until they are met. Janice McEfair, NBC News, Hong Kong. A woman caught on camera spewing racial slurs and allegedly spitting on a man has appeared in a Toronto court to face assault charges. As Global's Jamie Maraca reports, the suspect is set to undergo a mental health assessment. What many were thinking was a hate crime or maybe even a political hoax is, according to the woman's father, a case of mental health. Now, Global News has decided not to name the woman, and today's hearings are protected under a publication ban. In the video shot yesterday in Nathan Phillips Square, you can see the 28-year-old woman is acting erratic and aggressive, and it was a similar scene at the courthouse. She wouldn't speak to a lawyer or come out of her cell, which led to the order of a fitness exam, the results of which are also covered under the publication ban. I can tell you once she arrived at court, she was wearing the same blue dress as you see in the video and was yelling and spitting and it took at least five guards to drag her inside. She wasn't wearing any shoes either. A police officer tells me she will be taken to a mental health facility and then the officer says a woman will be charged with further offenses for assault of a court officer. She's due to appear back in court on September 12th. Jimmy Marocker, Global News. In health matters tonight, a warning for denture wearers who are being put under for surgery. A 72-year-old British man wound up with his dentures lodged in his throat after he unknowingly swallowed them during a minor operation eight days earlier. He thought the false teeth had been lost during the procedure. Instead, they were wedged in his vocal cords, impairing his breathing and causing him to cough up blood. It took two trips to the ER for doctors to figure out the problem and finally remove the dentures. A unique anti-pollution device is now up and running at a North Saanich marina, and it could soon pop up on other parts of Vancouver Island. It's called the Sea Bin. It's made up of a filter and circular container that can collect nearly four kilograms of floating debris, garbage, and plastics a day. That adds up to almost a half a ton a year, one and a half tons a year. It also has oil-absorbent pads to soak up any liquid pollutants. The devices were developed four years ago by a couple of Australian surfers. Oak Bay Marine Group bought one for $7,000. They're monitoring its progress, and they already have plans to expand its use.
I think what we're going to see is these are going to be commonplace at all marinas, ports, harbors, yacht clubs. Um, this is what they're designed for. Uh, they're designed to collect debris uh, at these types of facilities. So it's, it's having an impact already and um, it's important to us to, to take a small step um, towards a healthier ocean. Marinas are a prime location for sea bins, apparently, as they rise and fall with the tide that helps to push debris towards shore. They're now being used all over the world. And you might be seeing more of them here as well. Also, catching a wave during these dog days of summer. <laughs> Fearless furry friends hang 10 right after the forecast with Christy, who's at Hollyburn Country Club, a beautiful spot to take in some tennis and enjoy the weather, Christy. That's exactly right, Chris. Look at the scene behind me here. I mean, last year when we were here, it was completely gray, unfortunately, because of all the fires. So this year, so nice to be able to enjoy this view. Main court here to my left, uh, Vasek will be playing in any minute now. He'll be coming out. And to my right, we already... Uh, have some of the uh, tennis tournament uh, matches back on. So a uh, great evening here. Let's check out some of the numbers for today. Near the water, we hit about 23, 24 degrees. That's near seasonal for this time of year. Uh, it, just away from the water, though, it was much hotter. So upper 20s and then close to 30 degree in the Fraser Valley. And there's enough humidity that you can increase those numbers by another 2, 3 degrees. And that's what it feels like. Now, over the next couple of days... Not much rain in the forecast, so looking pretty nice for Lower Mainland. However, if you're further inland, we do have a slight chance of showers, not only this evening, a little bit of instability, nothing major, but you'll see that again tomorrow across southern BC, and that includes that east coast of Vancouver Island. Just a slight chance, but otherwise pretty nice conditions for your Wednesday. Mainly sunny across the north and temperatures above seasonal once again. There's that chance of showers and a slight risk of a thunderstorm. So sunshine for your Wednesday and your Thursday. Thursday, we may see a little bit more cloud Friday, Saturday, but at this point we have no rain in the forecast or chance of showers in the forecast until later in the day, Sunday into our Monday. So it's looking pretty great for the weather here this week. Chris, back to you. Oh, for sure. Thanks a lot, Christy. Enjoy the tennis. All right, there's nothing like riding a gnarly wave. And for some four-legged surfers in California, hopping on their boards makes for more than just a fun day at the beach. These cool dogs come to compete going snout to snout with some of the world's best. Check it out. If you're missing the dog days of summer, Lindemar Beach in Northern California is the place for you. Here, the kings and queens of the waves are canines and their stoke levels are off the charts as they charge into the water. Little Samson's been amped since he saw his surfboard come out. He gets here and he's just ready to play. He hits the waves with his partner Delilah going head to tail Whoa. with tandem duo Derpy and Teddy. The Mohawk guy was wrecking it out there and I think the Bulldog was doing awesome too. As the waves keep pumping, the competition gets even rougher. Prince Dudeman shredding the shore, Tristan coming in hot and splitting the crowd. Rothstein dropping in on this nice little swell. It's the cutest sport I've ever seen in my entire life. In the end, the top dog is a little lady named Cherie. It was awesome. It was totally awesome. A first place that might mean something to us humans, but nothing to the true surfers. They just want to be out there catching waves. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Pacifica, California. We've come a long way from water skiing squirrels, haven't we? We have, haven't we? <laughs>
And you know, I'm impressed software. by the fact that these people can teach their dogs to surf, but I would be more impressed if they taught house cats to do that. <laughs> you teach house cats, Impossible. then I'm really impressed. The contract watch continues. Well, it'll get favorite. done. I'm sure it will. It's just, mm -hmm. how much does he want? Well, we'll tell you. Uh, we've been hearing Brock Besser, yes, he doesn't have a contract right now, but when he does, he would like it to be worth at least $7 million per year. I guess when you see Louis Erickson making $6 million to be a checking forward and you're Brock Besser and you can score and he can't, why not ask for more? The uh, Canucks would have to move people around and off the roster to make that happen because they only have about $5 million left in cap space. We've known that for a while. Oh, today the Calgary Flames said they're in the market for a defenseman. I don't know. Maybe you in Calgary would like Chris Tanev. That would clear almost $4.5 million off the Canucks' books. I know it's wishful thinking, but you might as well call Calgary, Jim, and see if they're interested. Uh, it's not often you hope your opponent's best player is healthy, but the Whitecaps would love to have Wayne Rooney at 100% so he can play for D.C. United this Saturday at B.C. Place. He missed D.C.'s last game with a bad cold, but if he's better, he will come. Apparently, he's not afraid of artificial turf, and since he's going back to England next season, this is the one chance to get this legend live in Vancouver. Uh, I think that it's a player that people like to watch uh, for one main reason. He's, he doesn't cheat. Uh, the, the times we look at him play for D.C., okay, maybe he doesn't have the same speed or the same explosiveness as before, but his will, his mentality, his work ethic uh, is always there. Well, the Arlen Brown Tennis Tournament is at Hollyburn. That's where Christy is tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's not all that's happening in town this week. UBC Baseball has the Collegiate Classic with two Japanese schools sending their best to Vancouver. History is being made on the Diamond Note at UBC this week. For the first time ever, two Japanese university baseball teams are competing on Canadian soil. Uh, I, I'm very uh, proud of the first team. Uh, uh, in U, uh, UBC. So I'm very uh, happy to be here. The University of Tokyo along with Keio University are the star attractions for the inaugural International Collegiate Classic. Keio University, the New York Yankees of Japanese University Baseball. Last season they became the first back-to-back -back Tokyo Big Six Baseball champions in 27 years. But this trip around the diamond extends way beyond the base paths. Is to like and have like and cult like international cultural like experience with them. The second is to win. Yeah, yeah. The third is to like interact with the Canadian culture when they're here. Yeah. That goes both ways because watching a Japanese team practice and play is an exercise in work ethic. On average, these students are at the ballpark six days a week for a minimum of four hours, with a typical baseball week pushing 40-plus hours. And that doesn't include time in the classroom. It was an eye-opening experience for UBC's players when they journeyed to Japan last year. The big one that hit every one of our players was um, 
the true definition of hard work as a baseball player was shown to us by the teams that we played over there. That's the one thing we took away is just their passion, their energy, and their work ethic for the game. Our guys can learn from that and become better baseball players. If you haven't seen um, teams from Japan play live for this tournament, come and watch. It's a different style. You'll really enjoy it, whether you're a young kid or an adult. They play the game with a different kind of passion and energy and enthusiasm that uh, a lot of times we don't see out of the North American players. So come out and experience it. Come out and experience what we're building here at UBC. One thing about Japanese baseball teams, they are demons at practicing. Oh, disciplined. Totally. Too, yeah, okay, okay, awesome. All right, Squire's here now, and uh, what an amazing story these two guys are sharing about their time on CKNW. Well, for many years, CKNW was the hockey station because for many years, the owners of the Canucks also owned CKNW and us. They've had some great broadcasters that went through NW with the Canucks. Jim Hewson, John Shorthouse, Gary Monahan. But the real team that I think gets the gold medal mm-hmm. is the one behind us, Tom Larshide and Jim Robson. I'm Jim Robson with Tom Larshide and the CKNW sports team, and it's our pleasure to bring you a play-by-play description of this. Starting in 1977 and running for 12 years, Jim Robson and Tom Larshide were the voices of Canucks hockey on CKNW. They were the odd couple, as yin and yang as you can get. Ranford made the save and held the puck long. I was an old plow horse and did everything in a set way, and it was just describe what happens. Tom's theory, theory was, and it really worked for him, was entertainment. Hit Jelena right in the side of the head. Listen, this is a joke. To have a guy chop on a guy's head like this. Before the station hired Tom, Robson did the broadcast himself. He did the pregame show. He did both interviews in both periods. He did the postgame show. I mean, the poor guy did everything. Well, that was really the reason that they wanted to slide me in the booth. But the hiring of Tom took Jim by surprise. You know, I don't think, Jim, that CKNW even uh, consulted you about me well, coming in, actually, did Well, actually, Ted Smith called me in and said, what do you think of Tom Larshide? You were working at CHQM. And I said, Tom is an enthusiastic guy. He's a fun guy to be around. He does a good job for QM. But there was no mention about doing hockey. And we had a rough start, but we smoothed it out. People have asked me before, well, were you nervous? Or I said, uh, do you ever, you, do, have you ever pooped your pants? <laughs> was I nervous? Are you kidding? Eventually, Jim and Tom became the team NW thought they'd become. They were together for two Stanley Cup runs in 1982 and their final year together, 1994. Greatest work that's ever been done on Canucks hockey was the two of us in the 94 playoffs. Back at the line to Babbage, long shot, Pipeman had trouble with it. Adams did score! Greg Adams! Greg Adams! Adams gets the winner! The Vancouver Canucks are going to the Stanley Cup final! Can you believe it? Goodbye, Toronto! But of all the moments of that magical spring, none sticks out more to Tom and Jim than surviving the Game 5 broadcast sitting amongst Ranger fans at Madison Square Gardens. Uh, They're up 3-0 in the game. The Rangers come back and tie it. And when Messier scores to tie it at 3-all, these Ranger guys stood up and they stood and turned right into our face with the fists right in our face. We're going to win the cup now. The next shift... Pavel Burry throws a rink-wide pass to Dave Babich, who 
shoots one from 40 feet and beats Richter, and the Canucks are back in the lead, four to three. When Babbage scored, Tom Larshide pulled off his headset, leaned into these big guys and said, don't count your chickens. <laughs> and I put my hand on Tom's shoulder and pulled him back and said, Tom, if they act up, we're in real trouble. There's nobody around to help us. Jim retired from NW after the 94 playoffs, meaning there's one thing they never got to do. Our biggest wish as broadcasters of the Canucks were to be, would have been able to say, Vancouver Canucks are Stanley Cup champions. You know, I hope we see it in our lifetime, Jim. I hope so too. Yeah. A lot of people hope that. It's the Canucks anniversary, 50. Yeah. I would love to see those guys get one game. I'm with you. I think it'd be great Give to get one them back game. on the mic. I'd love to hear it. Let's do it. All right, they'll be calling tennis out at Hollyburn this weekend. That's where Christy is. Uh, pretty good looking night. Uh Sure is, Chris. Uh, Vasek Pasusil has just taken it to main court. He's up one. You can check it at vanopen.com. It's all live. And yes, a great week ahead. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thank you for watching. Have a great night, everyone.